Hi, welcome to the Cans Across the World podcast. This is Sean, and this is episode 83. Can you believe we're now 83 episodes deep into this? That's crazy. This is a craft beer podcast predominantly, but this month we've been off the drink. We're now in 27 days without a drink, but who's counting? We're actually almost that Donnie Darko thing, aren't we? 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes and 12 seconds. But you're very welcome. Today's podcast has a slightly different format to it, so I'm just going to start off just with a wee intro, telling you what it is, and I'm just going to review today's drink, which happens to be a tea, and then we'll get stuck into this interview. Um, well, it's not really an interview, because like, I was thinking about it, um, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to bring on the Medal for Life guys and interview them about what to do and stuff like that, but it turned into so much more than that, we like just started talking about metal music and gigs that we went to and just sort of nerding out a wee bit as well. Um, it was such a pleasant conversation and it went on for like an hour and a half. I think yeah, I got to about an hour and 20 and I was like going, oh, actually I better, <laughs> I better try and call this. I could have sat there chatting all night. It was so nice. Um, but yeah, that'll be straight after this wee ramble about the, the drink and stuff like that there, just to keep the format, you know, because like, Normally I review a craft beer, but I've been off the drink, so I've been reviewing just teas and coffees and various sort of non-alcoholic beers and soft drinks. Basically anything but the drink. Um, <laughs> so it's been interesting to say the least. So this is the uh, Lipton Yellow Label Black Tea, and it's described as an orange pico tea, which I understand uh, is the method of picking the tea. And it's the the word orange actually stems back to the Dutch Parliament, because uh, back in the day the royal family used to like have their servants pick the teas and stuff like that. But their method of picking was like everything but the bud and the uh, the grains or something like that. So it was just the leaves. There was like two leaves that they picked to put under their their tea. So they had no buds, so like your pico tea would have the bud in it, but your orange pico doesn't because it's through the royal family. But a history in here and cans across the world, you learn something new every day, don't you? That's probably completely wrong, so Google it. <laughs> but there you go. This is uh, the Lipton Yellow Label Black Tea, and on the nose, it's just, it straight up just smells like tea. Like, if you've smelled the tea before, you know, that this just straight up smells like tea. It smells very sweet. Um, so I'd imagine with the name uh, Pico and stuff like that, it does sound like it's going to be like a sweet tea. Um, so let's have a wee drink. Hmm. Um, oh, that's very pleasant. So it's very warm and uh, sweet as well. There's a wee bitter aftertaste to it, which is really pleasant. It's not too bitter. Um, it's not like a fruit tea or something like that. It doesn't have that fruity quality about it. There is a sort of orangey... I don't know if it's one of those things... Where, you know when you read something before you actually taste it? And I don't know if I'm tasting orange because I've read the word orange. <laughs> that sort of way. But there is a slight like orange tint to it. And it is a really pleasant tea. It's a very warming tea. Um... Uh, like it's it's quite cold outside at the minute, so like drinking this, I'm just going like, oh, this is nice, and I'm really like happy to be inside and stuff like that, you know. 
So yeah, it's really nice. I've really enjoyed that tea. So I give it a 3.1 out of 5, I reckon, on the scoreboard. But anyway, let's get into the podcast. So this week, we are very lucky to be joined by Gareth from Metal for Life, and also Darren Matthews, local comedian, and also uh, Injury 10 podcast, and Darren Matthews and Sometimes Friends, basically a jack-of-all-trades, the mustachioed Darren Matthews. And... The three of us sit down and we just have a chat for uh, for about an hour and a half. And it's, it was fantastic. It was so nice. Um, just like, because, like, obviously, um, we have, like, interest in, like, the metal music scene and mental health and stuff like this. So we had a lot to chat about. But I'll not keep you. We'll just get lashed into it because it was a great, great chat. And uh, thanks very much for Gareth and Darren for coming on. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So here we go. We'll see you again next week. Keep checking cansacrosstheworld.com and any links and uh, bands and stuff like that that are mentioned in the podcast are going to be on cansacrosstheworld.com on this post as well. So check that out. Here, welcome to the Cans Across the World podcast. And today we've got two guests. We've got Gareth from Metal for Life. How you doing? Um, we've also got Darren Matthews of uh, the Comedy Worlds and also the Injury Time podcast. Good evening. Holding a drumstick. Can I see the background now? You can't see that I'm doing my sweet spinning. <laughs> anyway. Keep disappearing. I know. But I uh, just brought everybody on just for the crack and we're looking to chat about Metal for Life. As you know, I've been off the drink for 30 days uh, to kind of raise money work on and awareness of Metal for Life. Uh, so just, Gareth, uh, how did you get involved in the Metal for Life? Um, well, it, it started sort of January, end of January, start of February 2018. Um, basically, the reason Metal for Life exists is because the the uh, lady who founded it, Gillian Consanahu, um, unfortunately, uh, she lost her son um, to suicide in, 20, in October 2017. And her son, Danny, was a member of a local prominent metal band called, um, God, I forgot the name now. Uh, Shrouded. <laughs> Shrouded, that's them, yeah. yeah. Shrouded. Apologies. But, um, yeah, and they, um, they had started to do really well. They were getting a lot of exposure and stuff like that. They'd played Bloodstock that year and all these things. And unfortunately, Danny had, uh, a, quite a bit of depression and succumbed to it, unfortunately. Um, and basically that's how Metal for Life came into being. Um, Gillian and her husband Addy decided that they would um, set up uh, a mental health support uh, charity for uh, basically for metalheads, um, but also, you know, taking in the sort of the wider genre, rock and all the rest of it, and generally sort of looking at kind of subcultures and things like that there, you know, it tends to attract that um, that sort of people. But um, it was, uh, I became involved because my niece was a friend of Danny's, and unbeknownst to me at the time, um, Gillian was doing this and my niece gave Gillian my number and I had literally just quite a career, 16 years, and <laughs> was at a bit of a loose end. And uh, yeah, I just got involved and that was really it. So that was it. And we've sort of carried on and gone from strength to strength since then. And there's myself, Gillian, and uh, a fellow called Chris Mulholland, who was a friend of Danny's, um, who's also who's the third member of it. Um, and uh, it's the three of us, basically, that run it. And we run um, support groups 
peer support groups for anybody who wants to come along and they talk about you know mental health problems and issues and music and all sorts of things and uh, yeah it's 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 gone from strength to strength and it's always surprised us just you know how many people are interested in it and sort of want to come along and we've got all the different sort of online facebook group and stuff like that there that's kind of grown and grown and grown um over the sort of two years that we've been about. So, yeah, that's really the sort of, that's the condensed version of it anyway. So it is how it's <laughs> sort of come to be. But as I say, all this information is on the, the Metal for Life website and stuff as well and the sort of the history and what, what it represents in that. But our primary function is um, suicide prevention and obviously looking at things like depression, et cetera, all the, and anxiety. Um, and that's really our primary focus on our sort of our, our main function. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. It's... Uh really cool that you actually created something positive out of a very uh, traumatizing event as well. Absolutely, um, yeah. Like, especially, like, I've been involved in that Facebook group, and I notice, like, any time anybody posts anything about, like, you know, of feeling, how they're feeling, stuff like that, like, there's just so much support and people offering advice and helping each other, and yeah, it's such a, a great community there. Yeah, I mean the metal community in general, and in, in sort of in Northern Ireland and Ireland, is actually really, really strong. Um, the the sort of connections they have with each other, and there is that really kind of closeness with them all. But the, I suppose the flip side of that is, you know, tragic circumstances like that does have a, a huge collateral effect to everybody, you know, who's involved with that scene. You know, it's felt by everybody; they all know about it. You know, um, and obviously it impacts a lot of people in different ways. You know, um, I suppose that's in one ways it's a strength of the metal community that they're so close knit, but it can also be a sort of an Achilles heel as well because that something like that happening can have a huge impact on a lot of people. So, yeah, and uh, Darren, you've done charity work in the past too. You remember your boxing? <laughs> oh Jesus! <yeah. laughs> About the time I uh, got the shag kicked out of me for six minutes, that was good fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gareth, your way of uh, raising money and awareness is probably smarter than mine. I um, <laughs> I did a show last year based on, uh, I decided, so I arrived home from traveling and I decided that after three or four months of traveling around Asia, drinking 30p beers and eating noodles every day, that I should probably try and lose about half a stone that I brought home with me. Fair enough. And uh, I signed up for this thing and I decided to do it. To motivate myself, I was going to do it. Uh, part of the reason I did it as well was sort of for my own mental health because I wasn't, for years I played sports and football and stuff. And then when I was just traveling, I was having a grand old time. But when I got home, I wasn't working and I wasn't working out and I wasn't playing sports. So I got really down really quick. Yeah. So I, I ended up writing a show um, called Fighting Fit, which was about me training for eight weeks. Right to fight in this boxing thing and we raised I think on my own I, I was everything was for uh, Cancer Research UK very good so I raised £1,200 for it through the boxing which I lost on points though I didn't get knocked out that's the main thing happy enough for that <laughs> it's trained always good and, trained and felt a bit better it was great though because I mean I, I, I lost the fight but whoever was taking the photos whenever he sent us the photos it looks like I'm winning in the photos so I was like <laughs> do well that's all that matters, isn't it? Yeah. And then after that, I, I had a, I basically wrote a show based on that for stand-up, and it was an R show, um, which was the Fighting Fit show that I performed in the black box. And the whole time I was training, I was growing my hair and growing my beard. So before the fight, I got shaved into a mohawk. I used to have a mohawk years ago because I'm a punk rocker, and I, I know a lot of the metaler guys as well. I used to run gigs in Warren Point. Right. And I... Um, 
at the show, the last 15 minutes of the show, I was telling stories and I offered it to the crowd and I, I actually gave the money to uh, Pips, which is yes. uh, down in the, I know the office down in Uri because the guy who formed it, I know his son who sadly took his own life as well. Um, so I donated the money to them. But what I did was I offered to the crowd the the highest bidder got to shave my head and the second highest bidder got to shave my beard. So the, I raised in the last 15 minutes of my show, just I was like, let's do this now. I'll tell you the last story while I'm doing this. And I ended up raising there 200 quid. Brilliant. I think it was 100, really weird. It was like 80 euro. Because obviously the girl was like, this lad's from Newry, he'll be able to spend that, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, another 50 quid. So it was a guy who came up and shaved my beard while I was doing the bit, and then a girl uh, shaved my head. But she, what she actually did was she was like, I'm going to give you 70 euro not to shave your hair, then do this show again, and then get your head shaved. And I was like, no, we've committed to this, we got to do it now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I was bald as an egg for a few weeks after. So that's what I, that was what I did. We ended up raising the money, and then because the, the whole show was about you know, getting your head right on how, like, the physical exercise. And weirdly enough, uh, there was, you know, jokes in it about, you know, Irish people, uh, basically, I was like, uh, what did I say? And the blurb for the show was Darren deals with, <laughs> Darren deals with his with his mental health like any Irishman by picking a fight. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good, man. We ended up raising a fair amount of money and uh, I trained hard and behaved myself for a few weeks and then, It'll be like when you get off this uh, drink ban, Sean. Many a pint was consumed after I finished training. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking after, forward. It was to funny it. as well because after all the adrenaline, after all the adrenaline stopped running through me, obviously, and I had a pint with the guy I was fighting, and then I had another pint after. I was absolutely pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But no, it was good fun, man. So I just thought it'd be something nice to do. I came up with the idea of to do that like on the day of the show. I was like, I'm going to do this, and then gives the money to the charity down the road. So we did a wee, uh, send the wee thing and they were like, do you want to come down and like take a photo with it and we'll do like a check presentation? And I was like, no, um, I'm a fucking head shaved and my face is clean shaven. I look like I'm, I look like I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, brilliant. Fair, like, that's fair play to you, indeed. <laughs> yep. Fair play, man. That's uh, that's one way of doing it, definitely. So it is. I think I'll uh, I think I'll stick to the support groups though on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're uh, I remember. Did you have support groups, uh, Gareth, up in Voodoo? Was it? Uh, we actually have them in the Sunflower. Oh, okay. Um, that's that's the bar that we use for it. Um, the Sunflower have been absolutely fantastic since the get go. Um, we just because they have the sort of the smaller room upstairs, um, we would have it in there, you know, twice a month on a Saturday, um, and basically. It's quiet. We're in literally just before opening hours, and. Um, sort of while the bar is just open so it's still relatively quiet so there's plenty of privacy as well which is obviously paramount for doing something like that there you know you need to be able to guarantee people's people's privacy and confidentiality when you run these things you know um that's so important but uh, the sunflower have been fantastic with us and then we also have one in Ballyclare as well um which is more out our neck of the woods up in Antrim here but um it's uh yeah so we run we run it once a month and there's a uh, basically a like a community building in Ballyclare um and we get the use of that as well um to run the support groups in so but obviously everything at the minute's online because of covid and all that other stuff that's going on at the minute so we can't actually get out and uh 
and see people face to face, you know, which is a bit of a shame, but it's the online things actually work quite well for us. So I think even once we get back out face to face, we might continue to offer it as an option because some people are more comfortable with that and other people are more comfortable with, you know, face to face, you know. So we, we, yeah. we have to move with what people want, you know, that's that's very important too. So, Gareth, yeah. let me ask you this. Is your is your support group um, for people in Ballyclare because they live in Ballyclare? <laughs> <laughs> Well, as a Ballyclare, well, I'm not a, I'm a Duke man. I, I, we we describe Ballyclare as a reservation in the outskirts, but it's um, <laughs> it's kind of that. <laughs> the summer of the Duke, yeah, yeah. <laughs> center of the universe, mate. Absolutely, um, it really is. It's 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 like Hobbiton, so it is. But um, yeah, no, the, the Ballyclare one, obviously, there is quite a lot of people. Again, we, we've sort of we've chosen that because it's close in our doorstep. You know, both myself and Gillian live within a stone's throw of, of Ballyclare, obviously. Um, I've lived in Duke all my life. I've went to school in Ballyclare and stuff like that there, you know. But there's a um, – so I probably need it as much as anybody else, to be honest with you. But it's um, it's a case that uh, we, we just decided to try it there um, because – it was close to hand, and we knew that there were people within Ballyclare who were asking about it, but maybe coming to Belfast was just difficult for them, you know, because of their circumstances. And again, it's uh, we do have plans in future to possibly branch out further than that and maybe start them up somewhere else as well. But at the minute, with just the three of us and obviously what's going on, any kind of plans for that are sort of put very much in the back burner, probably for the next year or so anyway, until the situation changes and we can start doing other things, you know. But um, yeah, that's, that's basically why Ballyclare Claire, you know, but I do understand your reasoning behind that. <laughs> I, on that basis, I recommend Straban. <laughs> uh, that's where I'm from as well. But I, yeah. I lived there, I think, about 18 years. And right. the reason I moved to Belfast was specifically because there was nothing there. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a terrible place, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's, look, as I, as I always say, because like, I run. You run in the your group in the Sunflower Bar, Gareth. I run a monthly comedy club in the Sunflower when when the world is not knackered. Yeah. So which is brilliant because it's a great venue. But I also run one down in Newry in a cafe right. called McCoy's. We we have a, a bring your own comedy club once a month. Uh-huh. Because but I have always said that although I'm giving you grief there, but by Claire, <laughs> I uh, I grew up in Newry and I always said that you're not allowed to say somewhere shit if you don't try and make it slightly better. So I, I, I used to run gigs. I used to, you know, play in sports teams. I would have, uh, I run my comedy nights there because people always say, there's nothing on here. And I'm like, I used to run gigs. And I was like, see if I run something and you don't go after complaining nothing's on, yeah. shut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> You're not allowed to complain anymore if it's on your doorstep. Like people will, people in small towns will literally drive to Belfast and Dublin. You put it to them in the local pub and they're like, nah. Lads, <laughs> come on! You're, we're not allowed. To, you're not allowed to say it's grim if we're just like here it is. Here's the thing. So I did that. Putting yeah, putting on. I used to play gigs in like the Magnet Center down in Newry, which we had a lot of metal bands playing it as well. So that was cool, man. I know the guys from Gamma Bomb, they're from down at home as well. I so did so I. Yeah, Joe was on. Uh, Joe was actually the first guest on my podcast. Darren Matthews is sometimes friends. Very good. We sat around and talked about the venues they're banned from. It's good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> yeah. Actually, one no, of their bands was really stupid. They got banned for handing out beer that the club had given them. Right? Yeah, so the club gave it. Joe tells the story about her on the podcast, but the basis was 
basically the guys got given this, you know, warm case of carling. They were like, that's the beer for the band. And they were like, we don't want warm carling. So while they were playing on stage, Philly, the singer, was just being like, have a beer. You know, they're cutting it out. The crowd were loving it. And then they got banned for giving out alcohol. <laughs> that's that's oh that's really patty like it really is you know i yeah. know venues venues can be funny about stuff like that though so you sort of have to be careful sometimes i know everybody wants to do the whole rock and roll thing and all the rest of it but that can sometimes not go down just as well as you might think <laughs> yeah I've, I've 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 experienced that with like stage diving and decking about and from when i played bands as well i uh, i broke a drumstick and just not out of frustration but i just sort of i kind of threw it behind me at the wall but it bounced out and we're playing in this little tiny venue bounced off the wall and bounced out into the crowd and hit a kid and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you don't want to be doing that now. That's definitely no good. I, so. I didn't mean to. Uh, <laughs> At least that's what you told them anyway. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've, I have some horror gig stories. We can get into that later on. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've, I've planned it myself. Like, I've been playing a band since I was 15, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, most gigs. Like, uh, it's like there's definitely something like really, uh, like incredible about checking out bands like just say uh, with a bunch of your friends and stuff as well. I remember like he's saying about the venues like uh, being strict. I was at Sleaford Mods and there was two kids like dancing. Like not even they were just like dancing like having the crack and stuff to get there and the bouncers came over and just broke it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were just like piling about. That was wild. Here with the two bouncers, with the two bouncers, uh, Catholic priests from the fifties. It could have been. <laughs> yeah. Leave room for Jesus over the ruiner. Is our standing too close? I, the ruiner, I. That's yeah. it. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting point actually because it's funny, and I've noticed this with venue staff and with people who maybe aren't kind of into this sort of the music side of things, but they're just there because that's where they work. They tend to have a lot of sort of preconceived ideas about what crowds particularly metal crowds are like and how they're going to behave and they sort of view they take a much dimmer view of of like dancing and sort of headbanging and stuff than maybe they should do because they just don't understand it you know in that way you know it's it's interesting actually because it's the metal in particular is so heavily stigmatized by sort of the media and everybody's views of it and stuff like that there you know and it's definitely something that actually comes up as a, a topic quite a lot in our support groups, you know, because people do feel like they're kind of on the outside a little bit because they're into it. And yet that's just not true because there's so many people who are into metal music and all the rest of it. And so many of them hide in plain sight as well too, you know, they just kind of, they, they, I, I, I've worked with people for years who I had no idea they were into heavy metal and just an offhand conversation one day and it's like, oh right, shit, you like that music as well, you know, and then that's kind of where it goes from, but you would never have guessed it just by kind of, you know, the way they get on and stuff and all that there and work. So yeah, it's interesting. And I think, I think Van used to, you know, sort of, I, I, I used to always get quite cross about it when going to gigs and like the Odyssey and stuff like that there, because the guys that work there are just like kind of, okay, I understand they have to kind of, you know, tell people to sit down and stuff like that there, but just seeing them losing their minds completely over yeah. some guy standing up, clapping a band, you know, it's just, it's just ridiculous, you know, <laughs> you have to kind of, there has to be a bit of give and take with stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Like I remember, uh, like, Pets and all back in the day, even in January, I went to see Slipknot and Behemoth. Yeah. Um, but like the likes of Pets, if you get knocked down or whatever, there's always somebody picking you up. That's right. And that's the part that really gets me about like bouncers. They don't like they don't acknowledge that bit. Like they're all you're all looking out for each other in there, sort of thing. Whereas, yeah. like if a pop concert, you fall down, you're probably not going to get picked up. You get trampled yeah. on because they're trying to I, get up the. 
<laughs> I think bouncers in some venues don't understand the sense of community that metalers and punks have. Because I've never been to better gigs and more crack than and nicer people as well. Um, whenever you... Like, I was literally at... I think it was Download or Sonosphere, and I couldn't find my mate. And I just got chatting to a lad, and we ended up hanging out for about two hours. <laughs> yeah, probably. Just made, just made a brand new best friend, because he, he just turned around and... Can't remember who we were watching. Just watching the band. He just turned around and went, "These guys are fucking great." And I was like, "I am loving this, dude." And he was like, "You on your own?" I was like, "Oh, I goes my mates away." He goes, "Went to the bar, but I can't find him now." He's like, "Come on in with us." And we're fucking. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I think bunches don't realize that. I'm just like, no, this is actually a a real community thing. This is what I, I would always describe it as. Because I mean, going go doing pits and circle pits and stage diving, and Martian. I always just describe that as like a controlled release of aggression. Yeah. I would yeah. rather go. I would rather go to that than a rave where somebody's on coke and wants to stab you with a plastic glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Have any of you guys ever been to Bloodstock? No, not yet. I I was hoping to go this year, but aye, yeah. <laughs> the window now. Um, I, I cannot recommend it as a festival enough. It's just unbelievable. Um, I went for the first time last year. And it was just, the atmosphere at it is just phenomenal. The security at it are just, they understand the whole crack with everything. So they do, there's no aggressiveness, there's no nastiness, there's nothing, you know, that goes on. And it just feels like you're just one big happy family at it, you know. I'm probably making it sound like it's some sort of paradise or something, but it's just, it was it was amazing. Um, I, we went over last year um, because, obviously, with sort of, you know, Gillian's son's connections with Bloodstock, um, Simon Hall, that runs the Metal to the Masses competition, um, he invited us over um, as Metal for Life and actually ended up giving us um, a stall for three days right beside the new Blood stage in front of everybody. And it oh, was man. just brilliant to be able to do that, you know. We, we couldn't believe it when we get over there, you know, to see all that going on and stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just fantastic. So it was. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant festival. It really is, and they, it, it, to me, and I've been, I've been to a lot, I've been to download, I've been to all those sorts of things, like, and none of them compare to this in terms of the atmosphere and just the kind of the, the friendliness and the community that goes on, and you know, it's, uh, it's something to, it's something to see anyway. So I would thoroughly recommend it, but it is muddy. Uh, <laughs> I've, man, I've done mud. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think with festivals like that as well, it's probably, as you say, with, with, with you encounter in your support groups is that people who are as you say metalers are hidden in plain sight or those people feel like they're on a, an outskirt of society because it's it's not a popular it's not a, a populist thing but when you go to those festivals that could just be a collection of i said to my mate about this one i was like if you think about it we're all the one kid from our street streets full of people you're the one kid that likes this music yeah and you go to this festival and you find all these other people that are just like you but now you're all in the field again, and that's why it's such a blast. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, it's it's again, a lot of people sort of feel, don't feel comfortable um, sometimes, sort of saying, giving away too much about the music they're into because of the stigmatisms that can be attached to it. And don't get me wrong, you know, metal does garner its own kind of bad propaganda at times as well, like you know, with yeah. sort of the stories and that. So it's it's not entirely undeserved for a lot of it. But I think um, the kind of trying to play it just as a general thing across everybody who's into that sort of music is just ridiculous, you know. Um, they're, they're usually you tend to find it the most normal people you'll ever meet, and generally very down to earth and very and usually quite intelligent as well, you know. Um, 
so we tend to find out about the, about the, the guys that come to our support groups and stuff as well. You know, they're very, they've all got different stories. They've all got different backgrounds, all sorts of things. And the music is the one thing that they all have in common that's brought them all together, you know? Yeah, I don't. I don't think you have to have something wrong with you to like metal. That's no. that's the stigma. Yeah. Oh, these guys are fucking mad. You're just like, no, it's just I like it. It's good music. Uh, I mean, it's interesting actually because um, one of the groups that we met um, when we were over at Bloodstock, and obviously they're at Bloodstock are, are big uh, sponsors of this particular organization, is the Sophie Lancaster uh, organization. If you guys know who they are and oh, the story yeah. behind that, yeah. Yeah, um, that was that was heartbreaking. That was. Uh, was yeah. Of course, uh, uh, Garlet was picked on specifically because of how she was dressed and yeah. uh, stabbed, I believe. Was... Uh, she was she was she was beaten to death basically um, right. by just some hooligans. Um, th- there's actually a film about it as well. It was on BBC last year as well. It's very very poignant. You know, um, it was her and her boyfriend. They were into the whole goth culture thing, and you know, the world, this sort of the black leather clothing and the makeup and stuff like that there and all that and they just it was uh, I think it was in Manchester actually and they just got um, they were in their own place at their own time and it just it, it, that's what happened and he they both ended up in a coma and he survived and she passed away unfortunately but then they've, they've, they've built this up and their work would centre around doing um, going to schools and teaching about you know um, accepting people and um, making sure that you know there's no kind of stigmatisms and things like that there and not judging books by their cover really and things like that but it's it's powerful stuff it really is you know so it was great to meet them as well and the guys that work with them you know um they're a fantastic fantastic organization yeah again that was uh, another example of like uh something really positive coming out of a, a bad event as well it was uh like uh, i think it's the stage called the sophie lancaster stage yeah. at the bloodstock as well yeah, it's 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 they have the main stage and then they have the Sophie Lancaster stage. That's so there'd be a lot of big bands would play on that as well. It's more sort of it would be it would be their indoor stage. Um, they would usually have it undercover, but it's it's still massive, you know. I mean, there's uh, last year I watched a band, a uh, Swedish band called Grand Magus, um, playing late on it, and it was just the atmosphere was unbelievable. It's all Viking metal type stuff, you know, and just kind of they're they're oh, yeah. phenomenal band. Actually. <laughs> they, they actually they were the last band I saw before lockdown. They played in the limelight there just right at the start of March so they did um, but they're, they, they were brilliant and just the atmosphere after people are still singing after they've finished and stuff like that there you know so I, w- I would like to apologise to that band because I've been pronouncing that Grand Magus for about 20 years I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it probably is Grand Magus don't assume that I'm right <laughs> here what, I, if, uh, what if we're both I'm, wrong and it's just not supposed to be said in English you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like Grand Magoose or something. Who knows? Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Who knows? <laughs> I'm sure somebody will tell us we're wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your support groups then that you hold them over Zoom at the minute? Yeah, we do. We do them over Zoom. Um, and basically it's, yeah, we, we sort of communicate with all our sort of uh, our clients through sort of private messenger and stuff like that there and just make sure you know we would usually have them on Saturdays um, for the Belfast ones and then obviously Thursday nights for the Ballyclare guys you know um, and we so we would we would run three three support groups in total every month two two for Belfast and one for Ballyclare um, yeah. and that's really what we do and then we also have obviously our own sort of social media stuff that the guys can talk to each other on as well so there's kind of like a 
there's a smaller group that's separate from the main uh, support group uh, page, and that kind of that allows the guys who come along to the actual groups to remain, you know, confidential and it's it's all private and stuff, and then they can sort of chat to each other and stuff as well. So. Yeah, again, these things have sort of been developed just sort of over time out of necessity as much as anything else, you know. Um, and there's, there's a lot of work goes into it behind the scenes. There really is, you know, it, it does take a lot to kind of keep a charity going. Um, probably more than even we realized from the start. And, um, what we're kind of realizing is it's probably the reason why there's, you know, a lot of charities like this have started and then kind of gone to the wall straight away because people just can't maintain them, you know, because everybody's got their own stuff going on in their lives and that. So it's taken quite a concerted effort on our part to keep it going, you know, especially Gillian, obviously, because it's so hard. It's obviously very difficult for her because everything she does with it's very poignant for her, you know, and rightly yeah. so. You know, it's just, it's it's difficult. But yeah, she's, it's, it's you know, she, she's, she's superb. She's uh, a bit of an administrative wizard would be a good way <laughs> to describe her. So yeah. yeah. So certainly, certainly takes a lot of the pressure off me and Chris anyway. So you know, I'd imagine it's a crazy amount of work because like I do uh, moderating on Ireland Metalheads. Oh, uh, great! That as well. Uh, but even that, like before going into it, like I was just like, oh sure, I'll just go on a pre folks of a grant. <laughs> but it's like there's a schedule. Uh, it's basically a part time job. <laughs> It is. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like I'm wrote it in for like Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday to <laughs> to do like moderating and admin work and stuff like that. It's like, uh, what's the crack? But it's so much fun. Um, because there's like a group of like twenty odd people looking after this uh, ever growing uh metal group. Um, like it's not even like it. It was called Art of Metalheads, but it's yeah. branched out to everybody. Like uh. What do you call the drummer at a Machine Heads a member? Right, yes. Um, uh-huh. Oh, what do you call him? Jeez, I can't remember. Not the. I would say not the, not the bald one, the other one, but they're all, they're both bald. <laughs> uh, Chris oh, Contos, is it? Chris Contos, that's him, mate. Yeah. He seems proper cool. Yeah, um, yeah, great like, drummer too. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Uh, hey, remember, hey, like, Sean, do you ever wonder yeah. that he's joined a load of metal groups around the world to see if anybody's talking shit about Machine Head? <laughs> <Could be. laughs> right. like he's not he's not on tour, he's got a lot of free time. <laughs> Shouldn't be too hard. Everybody talks shit about Machine Head, so remember that time he's wearing new battle band, you dickheads. <laughs> oh, never forget message on a bottle. <laughs> oh, that's right. That? Like when, uh, oh. oh your man your man had the cornrows in and uh, like had yeah. the wee bandana and all this kind of stuff and you're just like oh mate what, what's going on you <laughs> released for my eyes like 10 years ago was <laughs> metal perfection <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah the kid, they, they never really got that back did they like no uh, it's like that last album as well, because like I uh, like I would put on like metal metal songs just in shuffle, and yeah. the Machine Head songs that always come up are the most recent ones, like Bastards and stuff like this. And it, I just never liked it. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it wasn't like this is gonna like destroy my life. It's not send anger, like, but um, <laughs> I decided <laughs> I'll uh, you know I'll I'll live with it, but it keeps coming up. And just haunting me. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, do you think the the message in the bottle thing was there? Somebody came into the office one day and was like, "Here, 
Disturbed have covered Genesis and it seems to be going quite well for them. <laughs> Should we go and get a 1980s pop hit and have a crack at it? And he's like, oh my beer, son. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it wasn't good. I'm trying to think, did they do a, another cover or it was a, a covers album I got years ago with. I, it was a covers album I got years ago with an, epi- an, an episode, an edition of Kerrang! And somebody covered Davidian by Machine Head, but it was somebody, I think it was like Lost Prophets or something. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, dear. It was, yeah, it was, about as, it was about as good as that reaction provided. Let's see who did it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, <somebody>. Machine Head. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, machine head. Yeah. <laughs> stay away. Stay away from that last train. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's it. You, you know the th- the thing about it is okay. We can slag them off, but burn my eyes was an absolute classic. Like. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, Ed Alden. You know. Gardeners you enough clout to think the uh, to do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I tried getting back into them over the years, and nah, it just never stuck at all. Like, yeah, you know. Uh, do you have um? I mean, something for the support groups. Do you guys ever do like listening parties or anything? Or would it, are you able to like new releases or anything? Do you guys get sent anything? You can be like everybody over to mine. I've tried explaining uh, listening parties to young cool people, but they don't get it. It's <laughs> just all y'all stream it on Spotify at the same time. I'm like, no, dickhead. One person used to get a CD and you'd meet them in a place and you'd listen to it together and talk about it. What do you um, mean? We don't do that, but we have done. We would include music as part of the sort of what we do in the support groups. So, for example, um, we would use. Uh, have you ever heard of a, a group called Wardruna? Um, they did a lot of the music for Vikings and stuff, so it's all kind of like Nordic chanting and things like that. There, all very, it's 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 not metal, but it it just sounds very very metal. You know, it, it's sort of every every song just sounds like the intro to like the, the the biggest black metal album you've ever heard in your life. You know, um, they're fantastic, and we would use them. We would do like a breathing exercise, and then we would do a mindfulness exercise at the end as well, um, and we would play that music during it because it's quite relaxing and stuff like that. There, you know. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this down. How do you spell that? Wardruna. W-A-R-D-R-U-N-A. I mean, I want to guess. I want to guess that, but if it's if yeah. it's not an English word, then you're like, oh, there's. It's one of those O's with a line through it. Cool. Um. <laughs> guy, guy, the, the main guy, and it's a guy called Einar Selvig, and he wrote a lot of the kind of the music for the TV series Vikings. Cool. Yeah, I, I know the show, but that's so. cool. It'll, it'll sound really familiar to you when you hear it, yeah. Is it, does everything sound like an intro, like a big heavy song is coming in like a minute? Yeah, and then it's nice. not. There's a lot like, of drums, and it's all kind of very old, kind of ancient kind of music, a lot of sort of pipes and things like that there. and Stuff off in we, the distance. Yeah, wolves howling and stuff like that there, you know. <laughs> that sounds great. It's pretty cool, though, yeah. I, I love all that stuff. stuff. Yeah, check out a band called Heilung as well. H e i l u n g, yeah, just as it's, as it's pronounced, as, as spelled as it's pronounced. So, um, <laughs> they're, they're fantastic. So they are. Um, you should check them out. They're playing Dublin next at the end of next year. Actually, I think I'm going to go down because they've their stage show. They get dressed up in like really kind of traditional, kind of ancient Danish kind of dress and stuff like that. There and the the girl who sings for the Maria France, she comes out with these huge uh, kind of antlers on and stuff like that. There and it's quite spectacular. Like so, fantastic. Check them out on YouTube, actually. There's a lot of their stuff's up there, and it's really something to see, like, so. 
Nice, I'll, I'm up for that. New band, I, uh, yes please. Yeah. Reminds me of, um, do you ever listen to, like, there's a band, Stariosa, as well, they did, uh, it's like metal covers. Right. They did Orion, uh, but it's in, like, sort of old Viking style. Oh, um, okay. That's a bit, it's a bit mental. <laughs> what do you call them? Uh, Starry Olsa. It's like S-T-A-R-R-Y-O-L-S-A. Oh, okay. Um, but they're pretty cool as well. They just do like different covers and it's in the, that sort of style. Oh, right. Cool. Yeah. That'd be good. To, good to, you don't know where they're from, do you? What's, are, they, are they like a Nordic band or? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm honest. Mm. Um, it could be. <laughs> it could, <laughs> one, of the, one of the worst statements ever. It's like, they could be, but they could also not be. <laughs> I, I saw, just, you just reminded me of something there when you said about the stage setup, about like the whole show they do, the costumes and all. I was, it wasn't even a metal festival. I went to Rockin' Park in about 2013 over in Germany. Right. In, it's in uh, Nuremberg. And I was, it was just, it was bands like uh, Green Day, 30 Seconds of Mars, Limp Bizkit played at it really randomly. Uh, but before Limp Bizkit, I was like, I'm going to go over and watch this because I've never seen Limp Bizkit before. This will be great crack. I went over. And the band that was on before them, the, there was no backdrop because it, it didn't come down until the band started. But the stage set was taking fucking ages to build. And I was just standing there going, I might end up the bargain. This is taking forever. And after about 20 minutes, I was standing there going, are they building an entire Viking longboat on the stage? And they were. Yeah. The band <laughs> t- for a festival show, not for, it was a Mon they were playing. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they also a, did a full longboat and the drum kit in the longboat. And it was like the front of a longboat was at the front of the stage and the singer was like hanging off it. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and then the backdrop dropped and I went, this makes sense now. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's yeah, exactly straight, what you straight, want to say. Straight into Twilight of the Thunder God. But obviously <laughs> metal in the mainstream is more popular, I suppose, uh, on mainland Europe and Scandinavia. So I was like, why they're playing at seven o'clock in the evening before Limp Bizkit. <laughs> so what do you hear this for lineup? It was a Monomarth, Limp Bizkit, and then the Killers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was also at a festival in Canada where the lineup was Twisted Sisters, last ever Canadian show, Ice Cube, and then the Pixies. So <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Flip. Yeah, that's exactly what you wanted at a festival. You just wanted random as anything, CD, you know. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was the second stage as well. It wasn't even the first stage. My God. Yeah, that's but that was, cool. that, that was actually a festival I went to called the Rock Fest in uh, Montebello in Quebec. It started off as a, a festival of 900 people in a marquee tent in this guy's back garden. And when I went to it in the 10th anniversary, there was 200,000 people at it. <laughs> that's mental. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> And then obviously it didn't happen last year because of COVID or this this year, sorry. <laughs> That's mad. I, I I know it's it's it, there's something cool about when you go into the sort of the smaller tents at festivals and stuff, and you there's just an opportunity to discover new music every time. You know, it's great to do that. Like it's something that you I think everybody should kind of do. You know, really check out because everybody just kind of mills about at festivals if there's nobody particularly that they want to see on, and just go and check out other bands and some of the unsigned bands. A lot of the festivals are now starting to do more unsigned bands and that. And again, I, I would say I would probably say that that's down to the success of it at Bloodstock as well because they are huge champions of you know with the metal of the masses competition and stuff like that there which is has actually been brilliant for the metal scene in northern ireland as well because um i've noticed even over the sort of the last eight years of it happening in northern ireland it obviously gets run with a distortion project you know with james love day um yeah. 
and uh, the the local bands have really stepped up their game to try and get you know to win that prize at the end of it, which is to play the New Blood stage at Bloodstock, um, and just the level of professionalism among a lot of the kind of the more established metal bands, the unsigned bands in Northern Ireland is just unbelievable. So it is. It's so good now. You know, the scene's brilliant. So it is yeah. absolutely brilliant at the minute. It's just a shame that we can't get out and see any of it at the minute, you know? Yeah, it's insane. Like, I can't wait to see, uh, like, who won it last year? Was it Oracle last year? Yeah. Um, oh, no, it was uh, Lockhorns. Was oh, Lockhorns last year, but then... Horns, I think it was the year before. Ah, uh, grand. I was just hard to tell. Hard to tell what year is what year anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it does sort of meld into each other, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oracle. Oracle was 2018, and, and Lockhorns was last year. So. Oh man! Yeah. And it, like that was the first time. Uh, the first heat uh, that Oracle were in. That was the first time I ever seen them live. And the band were all setting up, but your man uh, Jason's the front man, is it? Singer. Yeah, yeah. Jason's the singer. Uh, he was already like pacing the stage, like staring down the crowd, and I was like. Oh, what what have I done to this guy? Like, <laughs> I, I like I took it personal. I was like, oh no, I'm gonna get hit. Like, I don't know what. But he was like just pacing, and then uh, the band were ready to go, and they just kicked into it. And I was like, holy shit, that this is the band. Like, um, and then far enough, they did win that year. So. They're a great example because they're so clued in about you know how to generate an atmosphere and generate a hype around them and get everybody on board and get them with it. And I mean, Jason's fantastic frontman, like so he is. He's he's unbelievable. He just has it down so good, you know, with that. Yeah. And uh, everything they do, their songs are just tight as anything, and just their playing and all that. So you know, that's they would be a good example of what I mean to say how professional some of the local bands have become, you know, because they are right up there. Like you know, they really should probably be going. A lot further, you know, yeah. than just here. So, and probably will do. So, yeah, like uh, especially like you were mentioning Lockhorns as well. Their video production and uh, how they sound and everything's just so like international. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as the quality of bands about here is incredible. Yeah. Aye. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real asset for us. You know, it really is, and it's it's even people who come over and sort of you know. From, over across the water from different countries even and stuff like that there and just you know from Europe and that um, they're really impressed at the sort of the standard of some of the local bands you know if only we could encourage the people who are actually local to yeah. believe that you know <laughs> yeah. I think, I think there, there's still that stigmatism that people think oh they're a local band how good can they be sort of thing you know it's just kind of that yeah. definitely applies across the board, I think, with, 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 with Northern Ireland anyway. Yeah, but every band at one stage was a local band. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I, yeah. I, I used to bang my head against the wall when I was running gigs. But I was like, you need to come see this band. They're brilliant. And they're like, how good can they be? They're playing in Warren Point on a Saturday night. And I'm like, yeah. they formed like three months ago in their class. Come see them. Listen to me. <laughs> but, no, um, it is. It's, 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 you're exactly right. Gareth, there's an idea for you. If you, uh, if you want to incorporate everything you're doing in the one, we get the support group, we get a minibus, me and Sean will come, we'll bring a carry-out, we go to a metal festival somewhere, we get to the unsigned stage, and we just hang out all day and have a great old time. <laughs> yeah. That's that sounds like, it sounds like a plan. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I'm for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Our, um, what's, the, what's the festivals metal-wise that are still happening in Ireland? There's stuff like Day of Darkness and that happen still. Uh, pass. I don't know. There was one. Uh, was there like 
there, there was your man uh, Phil that always tries yeah. to get festivals going. Uh, he had one this year called was it Iron Mountain or Iron Mountain, yeah, Iron Mountain That's Festival. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then it looked to be actually going ahead at the same. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad mouth, but it's very, think, very hard to get a festival going. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I did one years ago, and it cost me a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, he has that. He had the crawling headline in that, so oh, he wow. did. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, there again, another incredibly professional band, you know, um, yeah. who are kind of going beyond these shores, you know, um, and have done. Um, but yeah, that 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 was one of them. There was another one as well. It was supposed to be happening, I think, in Dublin. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was kind of it was meant to be. There was bigger. There was sort of because uh, I know Acid Age were meant to play it, and um, he booked some. The, the book that got somebody really big for the. Um, as the headline band, but I can't remember who it was. Um, but that was supposed to go ahead as well. But again, obviously, it's all out the window now, you know. That's it, they And uh, Sun, what was that, Sunstroke Festival or something? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Sunstroke, yeah. yeah. Yeah, something like that, well, we Deftones and all. <laughs> well, the, fir- the first festival I ever went to was Sunstroke in 1995. Oh, yeah. In the RDS with Soundgarden headlining and uh, White Zombie, Mod Honey. Uh, Pennywise and somebody else I can't remember who it was but yeah that was that was only one day back then so it was you know but it was still pretty cool well, the, line the, line, the line it was just alright so what you're saying <laughs> do, you know, do you know it's really funny I, 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 I loved Soundgarden and still do you know but White Zombie blew them off the stage they yeah. were phenomenal talk about a stage show unbelievable like they were just but by the time it came for the first uh, the first song for Rob Zombie to actually sing, he was so out of breath from running around the stage he nearly couldn't sing. You know, it was just <laughs> it was phenomenal to watch. Like they were they were superb. So they were, you know, and um, Soundgarden were brilliant as well, of course. But they just kind of stand there, you know, sort of. Yeah. You listen to the music, you know. There's not much of a kind of a spectacle with them, but um, White Zombie were superb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I found that different bands. Whenever you say you get a stage show off some people. Like, I've seen Alice Cooper, which was, like, a Vegas magician who also plays metal. Yeah. And then you watch somebody, like, another, I mean, another heavy band. I went to see, was that a festival? I saw the Deftones. And, yeah. and I enjoy the Deftones, but very standy stilly. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm like, I like this band, but I'm bored. What is the crack here? Because you're at a festival, so every other band is very, you know, they've only got, like, yeah. a short set. They're like, let's. Let's go, start start dancing, start jumping. And then you yeah. see a band and they're just like, we're just going to do our thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is very slow. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, that's what always put me off. Uh, dare I say, it always put me off going to see Tool. Um, oh, massive, oh. massive Tool fan, but I, oh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I could watch them all stand about, but apparently it's incredible. Well, <laughs> so I, I so to, I'm probably wrong. I, I uh, went to Krakow to see them last year. Yeah. So it, and it was it was unreal. I mean, it was pre obviously um, Fear Inoculum coming out, so they were only playing a couple of the songs off it, which is fair enough because that usually encompasses about half an hour anyway, each, you know. But it's um, <laughs> they were absolutely brilliant. So they were unbelievable, supported by Alice in Chains and oddly enough, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, <laughs> which is a bit of a strange one, you know. Although yeah. I do like them, as well. they're quite good. Like, um, who's who's in the city at the same time we are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. 
And then it was, we were really cross after it because we found out that there was a second show that was, it was supposed to be like a day festival. And apparently there was like a smaller venue somewhere and Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats were headlining it. And it was just like, shit, we missed them, you know, because we oh. could have, it was on early. It was, we could have gone and seen them, you know, but, um, yeah, it was, it, that was pretty cool going to see that, you know, but they were out, they were superb, you know, but uh, you are right. It's kind of their stage show and the, the sort of the screens and the videos and stuff is everything. They, they themselves don't do an awful lot, you know. I went to the Nine Inch Nails gig in Custom House Square a few years ago. So, and uh, you, you didn't see the band for the first half an hour. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It was, all, yeah. it was all screens and lights, and I was like, yeah. is, "Is this a is this a fucking CD? See if this is a CD." <laughs> that's right. That's right. But it was a great gig, wasn't it? It was class. I saw. And it's just how bands designed the show. That was that was. I remember reading up about that. It was designed by you know like a technical stage designer. So it was all moving screens and lights. The time I saw the Pixies in Canada, you didn't see the band. They were lit from the back, so you just saw all these silhouettes yeah. playing. Class. And I was like, you see that? That's good. Musicians, they don't have to look down at their guitars to see what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 2018, I went to I saw Iron Maiden five times, um, twice in Poland and then in Birmingham, Manchester, and then in Belfast here, um, and their Legacy of the Beast, and it was just spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. They were unbelievable. So they were, as, as, as they are, it's Iron Maiden. Like, you know, I mean, they're the kind of the kings of all they survey, you know, but it's just, they're Unbelievable, but that's that was a show to see, and the one in Belfast as well. Um, that it, it had been the first time they played Belfast for years, for a long time, and it was just well, not for a long time, but it was I think it was about four or five years, and they just everybody just went nuts. There was a whole thing. Voodoo was doing uh, selling Trooper. Um, the whole day and we're doing like a whole pre-show party and they like ran out of trooper and had the order more and stuff. There was just people queued up in voodoo the whole way down the street just waiting to get, you know, bottles and get served and that. And there was a whole atmosphere about Belfast the whole day. It was really amazing. So it was, it was some gig in Belfast. And Bruce Dickinson even remarked on it um, apparently afterwards in the press and said that it was, the atmosphere was, was spectacular. So that's quite something for him to say that really. So I, um, I met Bruce Dickinson in 2003 they were playing in Dublin on the Dance of Death tour with Funeral for a Friend opening for them, yeah. Sean. <laughs> That's so uh, Maiden fans hated Funeral for a Friend. But anyway, um, I, one of my mates is part of like, the Iron Maiden fan club online. This is 03. This is message boards and all that stuff. And um, one of the guys was like, we're meeting up. The fan club are meeting up in this bar. So my mate was like, do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah. Well, I was at the gig to him. And he was like, what am I going to do? Stand outside? I'll come with you, certainly. Bruce Dickinson rocked in, signed a bunch of autographs, said hello, thanked everybody for coming, and then went back to the venue. That's fantastic. Like, if somebody either got in contact with him or he found out where everybody was, and came, like, he'd done a sound check, and when everyone's sitting around the venue doing fuck all, before we went, there was only like an hour or two before the show, he came down, hi everyone, because he obviously knows where, they are, that they're, where they're going to meet, and was a thoroughly bloody nice bloke, and he's a... He's about the height of my phone. He's tiny. <laughs> have you? Um, I don't know. You probably haven't. But if 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 you ever get the, if you ever read his autobiography, um, it's really really good. Um, I I haven't read it so much as listened to it in Audible because he reads the entire book oh, on nice. Audible. And it's, 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 I've done, I've actually gone through it three times now. Um, but it's a really, it, it fascinating, fascinating person. You just wonder how he managed to fit everything into his life that he's done, like, you know, airline pilot. Olympic class fencer, all this stuff like, and some of the stories that he tells are absolutely hilarious. And it, you know, it is one of those ones where you're listening to it and you end up just sitting, pissing yourself, laughing. You know, um, he's really cool guy. Like, you know, 
Um, but I, I've, I've been long enough. I'm a, um, when I went to see Maiden in Manchester last year, Nico McBrain was doing a, he owns a drum shop in Manchester. And he was doing a kind of a meet and greet at it. And um, maybe mates went along to it and sort of queued up. And Nico's just in the shop. You're literally just queued around the drum shop, you know, and he's standing the, behind the counter signing autographs and pictures and stuff and all that there. And he was he was hilarious. He is a, really is a larger-than-life character, like, you know. But um, And just as, imagine, as you would imagine he would be, you know. But, uh, yeah, that was fantastic to get to meet him, you know. Really cool guy. It's always uh, always nice to meet somebody, especially a rock star, and they're not a dick. It's always nice yeah. when you're like, yeah. he was sound. Like Bruce Dickinson didn't have to come and find the the Iron Maiden fan club of Ireland to sign <laughs> forty autographs yeah. for a little lads. You know what I mean? So yeah. that was that yeah. was a nice touch to have a great connection with the fans. Yeah. Well, that's, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say I remember uh, meeting uh, Dave Lombardo in Matchets as well. Right. Uh, it was. He was doing like a drum clinic up in the Crescent Art Centre, yeah. uh, but there was like a meet and greet during the day. He just landed down. Uh, I think it was about one o'clock or something. It was a lunchtime thing. So I worked in the call centre in the corner at the time, and I just like, you know what? I'm going to meet him. I don't care if I'm late back <laughs> and get reprimanded or whatever. <laughs> Take his job and stick it. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so I went over and got this wee photo. It was actually Liam Kelt. Uh, you you oh, probably know yeah. photographer. Um, I know Liam, yeah. Lovely fella. Yeah. Um, absolute reprobate. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so it was actually him who took the photos that day. Uh, so I think that's... It was before I actually met Liam like to, as a friend. Uh, so he was there. It was kind of weird that we'd uh, get to know each other, like sort of like months later and stuff like that but uh, I remember seeing the photos like when I posted them and I was like oh shit you're you're that guy <laughs> that took the photos that day it was really weird uh, but yeah solid solid guy that Dave Lombardo way. Um, just super nice and I was like fanboying um, <laughs> and I, I was like standing in the queue it was totally fine I wasn't freaking out or anything and as I got up the queue I started thinking about all the times in my life I listened to Slayer, and I was still like nothing. And then it was like, oh yeah, my dad likes Slayer and stuff. Still, still nothing. Still totally fine. Then the scene from uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, jumping over a bridge, listening to Angel of Death pops into my head. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, it's Dave Lombardo from Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> And he finally dropped, and I was like, it was Grand Theft Auto that did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally just lost my ship. <laughs> Stand there with a goofy grin on my face and all. <laughs> but he's the nicest guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like that. Uh, we, we went to see Helmet in uh, the Electric Ballroom in London. A few years ago, they were doing the kind of the, um, it was the anniversary of uh, Mean Time, I think it was, or something like that there. And uh, yeah, Paige Hamilton's just standing at the front of the stage afterwards signing autographs. Like, you know, it's just like, oh my God, that's a fucking Paige Hamilton, you know. How can you sort of, you know, you get so close to this guy and all this here. You know, okay, he's maybe not the biggest of rock stars for a lot of people, but, you know, I love that band. Like, when I was growing up, they're, you know, Helmet and just big influence in me. Like, so, yeah, it was it was really cool. It's nice to be able to do that, you know, and realize that these people are just, they're pretty normal people as well. You know, they're not kind of 
they haven't got kind of caught up in the celebrity and stuff like that there, which is always the big danger, I suppose. So yeah, like uh, I've seen I've seen battles uh, play in the black box as well. Uh, John Stanier from Helmets on Drums. That's right, man. Um, tall fella. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's impossibly tall. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but uh, the it was really weird because it's like instrumental stuff, and uh, the synth player and bassist were on stage and they were hammering away like the start of the track and he was kind of standing there like just drinking a beer like looking at his watch and stuff and uh he eventually he felt the time was right and just went on stage and started playing drums <laughs> i was like that was such <laughs> such a cool entrance like <laughs> yeah but uh yeah it was like kind of fangirling a bit as well because i'm a big like tomahawk fan as well that he oh what a band did you ever see did you ever see them when they played in the limelight? Oh no, no. Yeah, that, that was that was some gig. Like it really was. Obviously, I, I was a huge Faith No More fan, so I loved Mike Patton and stuff, you know. Um, and yeah, they they were absolutely brilliant. So they were unbelievable. Obviously, I, I was in the bands like obviously because Dwayne Dennison's in Tomahawk as well, and I was a big Jesus Lizard fan, you know. Oh so yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, so getting to see him as well, you know, was was really really special. I, don't ask me what year that was because I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but it's, it was a long time ago. But that was that was that was a pretty legendary gig back in the day to be able to go and see. You know, they were they were superb. So they were. Ah, oh, brilliant. Say, uh, oh, go ahead, Darren. Sir. No, I was going to say, answer me this. Of all the bands we've mentioned, is there any bands that Mike Patton and Dave Lombardo aren't a member of? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they're in every band. Them and Josh Freeze as well. They're just in every band. <laughs> well, you can like Dave Lombardo's of... playing in the Misfits now, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you, you can sort of forgive Josh Freeze, given that he's kind of a session drummer and that's what he does, you know, but it's sort of, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I, he's just one of my favourites because I used to listen to the Vandals when I was a kid when I was learning drums. Uh-huh. Oh, and yeah. Brilliant. And then you find out that he, like, he, he plays for... Perfect. Nine Inch Nails and a Perfect Circle, and then also records on Britney Spears albums. It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, actually, uh, interestingly enough, uh, speaking of of gigs, uh, so I've seen Britney Spears. Um, I went to see Britney, and it was incredible. <laughs> I kept them honest. Um, so it was in it was in London. It was the same year I seen uh, Slayer, also in London. Uh, seen them at Wembley. Uh, what a lineup that was! It was Slayer, Anthrax. Did did, Brit- did Britney open or did Slayer open? Always, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it was, it was a split split headline. So like, it was Britney one night and then Slayer the next. <laughs> cool headline show. And, uh, so I was in I was in London for Slayer um, two weeks after I'd seen Britney and the O2. Uh, and opening for Britney was Pitbull. <laughs> it, was, it was like a fever dream, I swear to God. It was, it was, uh, are, are you a hundred percent sure that this actually happened? Uh, I might have to check the internet <laughs> to make sure. But uh, I know, I know the the London like for Slayer and stuff. Like uh, we had seen. Sworn Enemy the night before as well in uh, Camden Town. It was like the New York hardcore band. Oh, the Underworld in Camden. Yeah, it was Brandy. incredible. Like, uh, I love that. So one of the good things about metal as well is 
Uh, if you'll excuse the pun, usually when you go see a tour, you'll get a lot more headbang for your buck because the bands always bring a band. Like I went to the Priest Feast in uh, or Priest Fest, Priest Fest, Priest Feast in the Odyssey, which was uh, Testament and Megadeth opening for yeah. Jews Priest. I, I was out. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like the price for normal ticket, but that you got all three bands, and I was like, oh, I. It was brilliant. Testament, Testament are superb too. If you need to see live, like they're a great live band. Like, um, yeah. kind of saw saw them in Dublin a couple of years ago as well, and they were outstanding. They had Annihilator and um, Vader supporting them. Like, oh, um, yeah, not a just, bad lineup. No, Vader were unbelievable. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> seen it before, and they were just totally blown away by them. Like, you know. I say uh, Gene Hoagland's drumming for Testament now, isn't he? I think was, so. Was he uh, was he on at the time, or was that that's only recent? I don't think it was him at the time now, um, but don't quote. I, I no idea. I don't think it was him. <laughs> Who's um? Would would that something to tie it all back to what we started talking about? Sorry, guys, because we just all disappeared down a very nerdy rabbit hole. Oh yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry listeners, by the way, if we. <laughs> Or the criteria with our uh, just proving the, that we've never seen a woman naked. Um, <laughs> it would would that be anything? I know you said you you incorporate music into into the group sessions. Yeah. Would you ever organize? Like, do you ever consider organizing like a day away? Um, we we have done so. We would do kind of like. Uh, meetups and things like that there but there would usually be a focus around mental health based on it so for example we're running a project at the minute um, which we got funding for which is uh, rather sort of uh, oddly titled Back in Black um, and that's uh, basically the idea is that it's, it's focusing on social anxiety and we're, we're running it right through until the end of January and then at the end of that we're hopefully taking the attendees of that to um, out for a day to do um, a thing called Hawk Walks which is basically a guy out in Ballyclare who has uh, he trains birds of prey, and they can basically go and fly birds of prey and do out, out in the countryside and see how they're they're trained and sort of get that experience and stuff like that there. So we try to do a lot of stuff like that there. Um, we've done we've even gone we went down and did axe throwing and stuff like that there just for a day out for a bit of fun and you know. Uh, but a lot of what we would do again around that with the music we would tend to centre it around local gigs. So we would go to we have a really good relationship with the Distortion Project um, and would attend a lot of their shows really in voodoo and the limelight and stuff and that's where we would sort of james allows us to put up where we stand and sort of display our, our t-shirt merchandise and stuff and talk to people and all that there and it helps get you know donations and money in and stuff like that there but yeah we we, we would usually try and sort of we, we talk a lot to try and do some of these things but again any plans that we kind of had for that are kind of out the window at the minute but i think as well I think as well with with that, there's obviously a lot of considerations when you take a group of people away somewhere under the guise of a charity organisation. There's risk assessments and kind of there's a whole legal aspect attached to it, you know. So you have to be very careful around that there as well. So we tend not to do those things um, if there's if 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 the hassle of doing it is going to outweigh the benefits of it, then no, we w- we would try not to do things like that. We try to think of something. The other thing that we try to do is try and keep everything free. Um, so all our support groups are free of charge. The online ones are free of charge. Any of the support that we give is free of charge. But the idea being is that we try to uh, get the guys to try and do things that don't cost them money. 
um, and try and find things that are free. So doing things like mindfulness exercises, meditation, breathing, all those sorts of things, anything that can help them out when they're feeling anxious or feeling depressed or feeling, you know, um, you know, a bit down or whatever, um, just to try and get them to onto an even keel again. So the idea of that is that it shouldn't cost you a fortune to try and maintain your mental health, because yeah. if you can do it, if you can do it that way, then you know you're, you. you You'll always be able to cope, kind of thing, you know. There's, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Chris would explain the sort of the science behind it a little bit better because he's got all the qualifications. But um, <laughs> I'll just kind of block my way through that one. So, well, no, that's that's hundred <laughs> percent. I, I, I do, I do, I do have a degree in psychology, but that was many, many, many years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's hundred percent. Like I, uh, I got very much into mindfulness over lockdown, mm-hmm. uh, just doing simple things. There was, like, I remember reading about like. Uh, if you're doing the dishes, like feel how the water is and sort of get lost in it, um, like just really, uh, just wee things that got there, just like getting totally lost in what you're doing, and it helps you switch off. And like I found stuff like that really beneficial. Absolutely, because the idea behind it is it gives your sort of head a break and allows you just to focus on the moment and be in the moment, which a lot of us forget because we've worries about, you know, what's happening now, what's happening in the future, what's going to happen with COVID, what's going to happen with everything else that's going on in the world. There's so many different things coming in from around us that we're under pressure from and it's to try and get people just to give their heads a break for five minutes. We do, The exercise we do in the support groups is around um, eating a piece of chocolate and it's basically you use your, your senses and you use your, you know, so you start off, you get a piece of chocolate and a tissue paper and you just sit and look at it and you try to think about how you would describe it, how you would describe it to somebody else. Um, you then sort of smell it, use your sense of smell to try and describe the smell. What does it smell like? Um, then you use your sense of taste, put it in your tongue, touch to try and describe how it feels, you know, the textures of it and things like that there. And the idea is that it's something that you can do even if you're sitting in your break and work, and nobody needs to know that you're doing it. You know, you don't need to close your eyes or anything like that. You're literally just losing yourself in the moment of eating whatever it is you're eating, you know. And it's it, it sounds very sort of high level and stuff like that, but it's really, really simple to do. And it's 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 actually quite effective, you know. Um, it's amazing, actually, when you get a piece of chocolate, one square off a bar, and you eat it like that, how much it feels like you've eaten the whole bar already, you know, it's just from that one wee piece and it allows you to enjoy it and savour it and take it in a bit more and it helps give your mind a wee break because you're just solely concentrating on this one simple little thing just for five minutes and it can give you a bit of rest and respite and obviously breathe while you're doing it, your posture, think about that. And again, if you can, if you if you have the privacy, you can close your eyes and sort of just, you know, think, do it that way as well. So instead of how I ate it, which is like a wood chipper? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your idea is better, Gareth. Listen to Gareth, everybody. Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, I'm just as guilty as you are there, darn a lot. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's very and, hard uh, to my, practice what you preach sometimes. Though. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, no, I mean, just simple little things like that. And again, it's something that you can do every day. You know, even the breathing exercises and stuff are very, very straightforward. You know, nothing complicated, something simple that's easy to, for people to remember that they can practice themselves as well. You know, there's a million and one different things if you go on the internet that you can find that everybody's got the, the best idea for how to do certain things, you know, so the idea is, is just break it down and keep it in the simplest terms possible, and that usually tends to be the best way to do it, so. 
we found anyway, I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there who would argue different with me. So <laughs> that's that's always the way. It's like uh, that's like oh, we're all in this together. We're all doing mental health, but my way is the right way. <laughs> <laughs> But the the irony of all that is there's so much information. I mean, asking somebody who's suffering with depression or anxiety to go on the internet and then trawl through pages and pages of information is just a non-starter, you know, a complete non-starter for anybody to do that, which is, I think, again, it's one of the many reasons why people find it difficult to get help and get support, you know. Um, One of the other things that we do a lot of is signposting. Um, We try and incorporate a lot of the established mental health charities and what we do. So if, for example, particularly the likes of Lifeline and the Samaritans who are amazing charities that have been around for years and they do it better, nobody does it better than those guys, you know, in terms of listening and supporting people and stuff like that there. Um, We would try and signpost people to different things, depending obviously on what it is, you know, the the issues that they're having or whatever it is. There's also a, a brilliant app that you can get called the Here to Help app. Um, and basically, if you download it, it comes up as two traffic lights. Um, one of the, I'll see if I can bring it up, actually, show it to you. So just give you an idea of what you're looking for. Um, yeah, there we go. It'll appear in your phone just like that. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it will. So the top one says, I need help now. So that would be for anybody who was in urgent need of urgent help or an emergency, for example. But um, the other one, I have a problem. Well, if you click into it, it'll give you a lot of information. Local charities in Northern Ireland who are nearby that can help out with different things, all kinds of issues. Obviously, it doesn't just mental health, it's drug and alcohol abuse, you know, domestic violence, all those sort of things, sexual violence, any kind of things like that there. It covers a lot of that. It's a brilliant idea, so it is. Um, and it's it's a great reference tool even for us as kind of, you know, trustees of a mental health charity if we need to find out something maybe a problem's come up that we've never had to deal with before we can go on to that and kind of get an idea of who okay who are the experts in this who is out there dealing with this specific problem and can help somebody you know and then we just signpost whoever it is and hopefully they'll they'll be able to make contact with them then you know that's that's very important because there's a massive amount of help actually available in northern ireland it's just people there's there's just a, a disconnect with people finding it yeah, there's so much information out there. Um, I always thought, like, like uh, back in the day, like I uh, when I went to the doctors, like to to get a bit of help, mm-hmm. it, it was even very disjointed then, because like yeah. all he was doing was going like, oh, what, what's your problem? Uh, well, not your what's your problem, like. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your problem? Jesus, wow. all right, there's Sean again. That's a honor. But it was it's very much like, oh, here's pills. Uh, and I was like, well, what, what then? When, when does this end? Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was like, don't know. But uh, I actually find more help through uh, speaking to people, like uh, speaking to my, my family and sort of like support groups like yourself, yeah. uh, Metal for Life and things like that. Like I, w- I would go to them and it was much more beneficial than just going like, oh, I'll just take pills and then, like, I'll not talk about it or, or read or, like... Again, the best explanation I kind of heard, and you've sort of hit the nail on the head there um, about where the kind of the disconnect is. With medication and stuff like that there, yes, it's important, and it's important to go to your GP if that's the sort of route that you want to take. Um, but 
medication, and it was a council that explained it to me like this, should be looked at as being like a crutch or a plaster of Paris if you've broken your leg. Yeah. You know, the only difference being is if you do those, if you get your crutch and your plaster of Paris on, your leg heals naturally because the body heals itself. Mine doesn't work like that. Um, there could be years and years of trauma there, things that you don't even remember, stuff like that there. So yeah. that's why the talking bit should work in tandem with the medication as well. You know, so that's that's what it should be. The medication, you should look at it as a crutch. Now, that's not obviously true across the board because there are obviously a lot of mental health problems that do require medication and it's inevitably some people can end up on that for the rest of their life, you know, and yeah. um, obviously nobody wants that. But again, with things like depression and anxiety um, and stuff like that there, it definitely helps to talk about what it is that's causing the problem in the first place. Yes, you may need the medication to help balance your moods and help you function and yeah. that there, but also being able to talk about it will actually help with recovery so much as just coping, you know, and that will allow, you know, and that's 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 the sort of the idea. That's a very kind of base level that I've explained that. <laughs> That was that was how a counselor explained it to me, and I thought it made a lot of sense. You know that it, to me, it's like a twofold process. You know, you go to see your GP and you get your physical medication, and then likewise, you can also then go and see a counselor and get you know and talk about what it is that's actually the issue. Um, I obviously myself have been through counselling. I didn't do the medication route because I'd seen enough people in the job that it did going down the route of being kind of hooked in these things. And I thought, I don't really want to do that. I want to just try and do it, you know. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that I was able to, you know, get through a lot of problems just by talking about it. So the yeah. talking thing is incredibly powerful. It's a really, really important piece of the jigsaw, if you like. So that's, again, and that's where obviously Matt for Life comes in. But as far as medication goes, you must go and see your GP about it. They are the people who are qualified and the experts in giving you the medication. So you should always do that. Spot on. Yeah, because I, I uh, like, I think that definitely, like, when, it, when I was talking about it to people, like, it did, like, just, it was like somebody lifted a wee weight off my chest every day. Yeah. And I think uh, there was a, I remember reading this cliche thing. Uh, it was like, uh, each day looks brighter, um, where it's less grey, but it did actually feel that it was brighter. Yeah. Um, once it started feeling better, because, like, I think at the time, uh, the thing that sort of set it off was that my granddad passed. Um, right. So it was proper grief that I didn't deal with. Yeah. And then uh, talking through it and sort of rationalizing it. Uh, first person I talked to was my dad. Mm. And obviously it was his dad. So it was like yeah, he's going yeah, through yeah. the same stuff. Yeah. And we kind of bounced off each other. Um, so it's, uh, it was incredible just to talk about it. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 something I think that it's particularly in in our, in our culture we tend not to talk about things. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of stigmatism around mental health as well, which is why it goes so hand handily nicely with heavy metal. You know, but um, it's uh, the um, we we tend to be you know particularly the generations before us it was all sweeping under the carpet. You know, I mean we all remember people talking about you know oh such and such down the roads having trouble with his nerves. You know that sort of thing, and 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 really, what they're talking about there is things like anxiety and mental health issues. You know, um, yeah. that's obviously, but it was kind of brushed to one side, and people didn't really understand it. Another big part of the problem is the fear that people find around someone who's suffering. So, somebody will ask you how you feeling. A lot of the time, that's just a turn of phrase. It's just a kind of a, all right, mate, sort of thing. But they they don't really want to kind of hear your problems. 
they maybe don't have time. It's not that they're a bad person or anything like that there, but it's just they, they also are in the moment of that when you're talking to somebody who is struggling really badly. Everybody's fearful that what they say is going to make the person worse and they don't know how to cope with it, you know, so that's really important as well. Um, we all had to go as, as, um, facilitators have to do a course called mental health first aid. And I would urge anybody who gets, has the time to do it and is able to do it to go and do that because it's, it's a huge eye opener, uh, around mental health and it does give you a lot of insight into the best ways to talk to people and how to listen, you know, active listening, things like that there. I guess, just being able to give somebody the time to sit and talk is huge. It's very, very powerful. But to actually listen to them and understand. And then obviously what's also important is not to judge. You know, you can't judge anybody. It's You just want to listen, let them talk, try and think of, you know, um, things that maybe they can do, point them in the right direction, signpost them, all that sort of stuff. You know, it's really, really important not to judge someone. Um, okay, and yes, everybody makes mistakes in their lives and does things they're not proud of, and those kind of conversations happen. That can come out all the time, you know, but at the same time, you're not there to kind of judge them for what they did because nobody's perfect at the end of the day. You know, nobody has led a perfect life where they've never made a mistake or never done anything they're not proud of or, you know, all the rest of it. So it's, it's really, really important that you don't attach any judgment to anything you do and just listen to the person and hear them and repeat it back to them and talk to them and make sure they're okay. You know, that's that's very, very important. But um, I suppose I'm starting to ramble a wee bit, but the thing I would say to you is actually, and I think I said this in the Fellowship podcast as well, um, there's a website to check out um, that's run by a charity in England called the Zero Suicide Alliance. Now, they do, um, it's like a 20-minute online course that kind of condenses the whole mental health first aid thing into a very sort of bite-sized thing, gives you all the essential skills, all the essential sort of concepts behind it in a 20 20 takes about 25 minutes to complete the training course and it's really really useful um i can't recommend that enough as a thing it's a brilliant idea that they do that and it will give you the it'll give what it'll do is it'll give you confidence that if you ever do find yourself in the position where you're having to talk to somebody who's struggling you'll you'll know what to say and you'll have an idea what to say yes okay in the moment it can be a lot of pressure and it can be very difficult to do that but at least it'll give you the tools in your arsenal that you'll be able to uh have more of a confident conversation with them and actually help the person, you know. Gareth, while you've told us that we should never judge anybody, what if they're in a Christian metal band? Is that... Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you know, if, if well, well, I suppose the, the, the first part of the Christian metal bit would probably mean they do a lot of judging themselves. But anyway, um, I suppose it's... Uh, yeah. I, well, I know. I, I only say that because I remember... I remember somebody in a Christian metal band being mean to me years ago when I was playing them. <laughs> when I was playing in my little in my little punk band, I used to play in a punk band called Too Fat for Porn. Right. We, were, okay. yeah. we were playing at a gig one this and this somebody was saying about like not moving his drum setup or something. And I was like, mate, I have to. Oh. I'm not fucking left-handed for starters, you know what I mean? So I um, oh ones was it? <laughs> just just been like that, and he, he was like. Uh, so he just wasn't wasn't he wasn't living his life as the good book intended. And, uh, he, he had a he had a tattoo on his arm that said uh, only God can judge me. And I went to him, here man, that's a sweet tattoo. Is there not something in the in the Bible about God hating tattoos? <laughs> um. 
But whatever. Uh, that was that was my passive aggressiveness, which is uh, an inner uh, demon I have. To do. I'm just a smart hole. That's my problem. Sorry. But um, it's, it's, yeah, but it's it's interesting though because isn't religion such a big part of the whole thing, especially in this country? You know, oh, here it's here it's emotionally crippling. Massive, yeah, absolutely yeah. massive. You know, um, there's there's and I, I don't want to go too deep into this because I don't know enough about it. The kind of I'm not the expert on this kind of say, but there is a big significant body of work now um, that's been done in Northern Ireland um, about the sort of uh, impact of the Troubles legacy on mental health, and that is a major part in it. Um, in many ways, they've compared, you know people, the kind of trauma that people feel in the aftermath has been very similar to, you know, the likes of what has been witnessed in places like Beirut and stuff like that there, um, after massive civil war and things like that there. There's very a lot of similarities. Again, I'm not the expert in this, so I don't want to kind of say too much or, you know, and get it, get the, get the point across wrong, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work in that, and, and I think there's still a huge amount of that, certainly with the older generation that, that are really feeling that, you know. Um, and then obviously now, there is also a body of work that's suggesting that a lot of that kind of, those mental health issues are being passed on generationally now, out of the troubles as well, which is, I think, you know, it's one of those things, okay, I don't know all the evidence that proves that, but I think when you look around, you can definitely see that that makes a bit of sense, you know, that that would be one of the, the, the side effects of what has gone on in this country. And religion, again, I'm not a religious person myself, but certainly as far as, you know, people do find a lot of comfort in religion. And I suppose ultimately, if their religion allows them to cope and get through what they need to get through, then I suppose that's fine. You know, we shouldn't yeah. judge them for that. Um, but as for being in a Christian metal band, well, you know. <laughs> Each to their own. Each to their own. There's a diplomatic way of saying that, yeah. yeah. Personally, like, I, I grew up, uh, like, in a, a sort of strict Catholic school. My parents weren't religious or anything, but my grandparents would have been. Um, <laughs> but the stuff that came out of that, like... Um, the, the feelings of like like if you're happy one day like religion like the Catholic religion tells you to be sad because somebody else in the world has less than you so you're not allowed to enjoy yourself and <laughs> stuff like that so it's very damaging it took many years to get over that yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was that also raised like, Catholic uh, my trip advisor would be 3 out of 10 would not visit again um, <laughs> very good <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose the unfortunately, particularly with Christianity, the guilt thing is very prevalent right across the board. You know, um, I, I I I was obviously raised in a Protestant background, and very much I'm in a kind of a I, I would hate to call it a Protestant heartland, but it kind of is really. I, where hang I, on, I, hang on, hang on. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Protestants are tricky. What denomination? Because they're all different. You see, I, I I'm a fence sitter. I was Church of Ireland. Mate, Church of Ireland is just Catholicism without the guilt. Yeah, <laughs> that's all Pretty it is. Much. Yeah, we if, did, I, if I got a retry, I'd I'd go there. <laughs> yeah. We did we did do Holy Communion and stuff like that there. So yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, I I just didn't take with religion at all. It never took with me. You know, I mean, I'm, 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 my parents were 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 kind of religious, but they my father sort of kind of moved away from it as he got older. You know, he kind of moved away. I mean, he was a school teacher and knew his Bible and stuff like that, as you had to be when you're a school teacher. But it's just kind of yeah, it's it's funny, and I, I still don't agree with it necessarily being taught in schools and things like that there. I think they should definitely remove that. You know, obviously, I mean, again, 
when there are churches that run schools and things like that there, then obviously that's going to be very prevalent, you know, but it's, uh, yeah. And also, also, I'm sure the people at your school realized that you didn't take the religion because you were really busy enjoying the music of your dark lord Satan. Because you're, because <laughs> you're a wee metalhead. Well, if they forgot, I reminded them of it. So you know, it was just absolutely. Kind of, yeah. What is yeah. it? The devil's got all the best tunes. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think, I think isn't there a Bill Hicks skit about that or something? Isn't there? Yeah. 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 It's like, here, here, boys. What, what's better, Ave Maria or South of Heaven? What do you reckon? <laughs> I, the, the, the Hex joke goes, you know, the, the kid up for adoption, they all want the Satan worship and family down the street because they've got all the good albums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh. <laughs> classic. Um, but uh, we're just verging on, oh, about an hour and a half. <laughs> so shall we... <laughs> Yeah. Shall we uh, look at wrapping up? Um, yeah. right, Sean, whenever you, t- whenever you take out the bit in the middle where we all just went, do you know who I saw live? It'll be 20 minutes. Okay, do, a, <laughs> do a separate one out there. Just like... Uh... <laughs> Damn, no, that conversation <laughs> walk for hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. Like that uh, That's one of my favourite bit about gigs. Uh, the bit after the gig or between bands where you're just sitting chatting to people and you're going... Oh, do you know about this band? And then, <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just class. I, I just love that excitement and uh, like connection to your youth that you get. You get yeah. that natural childlike excitement. It's class. Funny enough, I'm just sitting in my sitting in my office here at the house, and I was down, I was down actually cleaning up a room, and I found my ticket box. Oh, oh that's, wow! And that's <laughs> and that's not including ones I've lost. Yeah, paper tickets. Once you just check it on your phone, that's just old school. Like that's, I think I did them pretty much. I think I dated them out one time. <laughs> so there's, yeah, that's, oh Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, right back. That's a, that's a that's a lot going on there, boys. <laughs> I have, okay. uh, yeah, I think that goes right back to like 2001. <laughs> <laughs> class. God. Um, well, here, here's one for you, boys, just to finish off then. The the classic question in the conversation like this, who was the first band you saw live? Oh. Uh, Mine was Point Depot, Foo Fighters on the One by One Tour, supported okay. by Kevin. Oh, yeah. Saw Kevin and Auntie Annie's years ago. Brilliant band. Mm. Oh, band. yeah. I was at that gig as well. Yeah, yeah. it was Kevin great. One. Yeah. yeah. Unreal. Incredible band. Um. Who was the first band I... I think it might have been... Do you remember? There was a band from Donegal called The Revs. Oh, yes. yes. I remember The Revs. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, the first band The first band I seen. Flip. Class. In Dicey's, was it? Uh, no, it was up in Derry. Uh, um, I think... Actually, I can't remember if it was them or maybe the band that was just before Fighting With Wire, Clear Shot. Oh, God, um, I remember Clear Shot. Oh yeah, clear shot enough, element. Uh, yeah, <laughs> funny, funny enough, um, the, that helmet gig I was talking about, um, Fight with Wire supported them. No way, amazing. Yeah. I sort, I, I sort of know Cahar a wee bit um, because one of the bands I was in used to do a lot of gigs with Clear Shot years ago. Um, so it was, it was, it was cool, great to see him doing well. And then obviously, I don't know, I don't, know, I haven't seen him in ages now. Like you know, I don't know what he, if he's still at the music or what. You know, he is Frank Turner's guitar technician. That's what he does. Right. 
That's what he does. Flat out, he tours the world. He's away. Brilliant. Busy man. I need to chat him the other time. He's a good dude. But then, Helmut LaFaro toured Europe with Helmut as well. That's right, yeah. LaFaro did, yeah. That was cool. That's right, yeah. Fucking hell. I know. Small world, isn't it? Well, Gareth, (laughs) what's your... You you can finish because you're the guest. What's yours? What was your first one? (laughs) Status quo. (laughs) (laughs) What year? (laughs) 1991 in the Antrim Forum. Because I know on their 1988 <laughs> World Tour they played Newry Sports Centre, but I wasn't at that one. Oh. <laughs> uh, and I'm ashamed to say I was actually with my parents because I was only 10 years old at the time. And um, rather than get a childminder for me, they just took me with them. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Mommy, Daddy, I'd like to go to the Status Quo show. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know something? Um, they were great. <laughs> Yeah, still are. Still are, yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. And one day they'll play a song with four chords. <laughs> Absolutely. One day. Well, uh, thanks very much, Gareth, for coming on. Thanks very much. Darren as well. Yeah, it's lovely to chat, man. Lovely to chat. Um, Sean, can I just say before you knock off there, just if anybody wants to get in touch with Metal for Life, um, if you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Metal for Life NI, and the NI bit's quite important because there's about 300 sites called Metal for Life on the internet. So that's, that's quite important to add the NI bit or you'll get the phone book. But um, that's what you get. And then obviously www.metalforlifeni.co.uk is the website. So And all the information you need if you want to come along or anything like that there is all attached to that. And it's free of charge. Amazing. Thanks so much. And I'll have all the, the links and everything on cansacrosstheworld.com as well. Uh, where people can reach out to you and uh, get involved because it it's uh, it certainly helped me a lot and it continues to help so much people so much so much people <laughs> that's, that's me English feel well, me <laughs> thank you very much for doing what you're doing for us as well it's it means a lot like it's great when we need you know all that kind of support to come along so brilliant of you to do it fantastic thank you very much well happy to do it happy to help in any way I can Right, everybody, donate to Sean. I'm going to raise I'm able to drink again. Buy him a pint. Them's the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Sean, if you're ever to gig with us some night, Sean, we'll definitely sort you out with a pint. Don't worry about that. I'll be good yeah. crack, mate. And you too, That's darn, of course. You Thank too. you very much. I promise not to have this handlebar tash. I'm also doing some fundraising at the moment. So. Uh. <laughs>